The need to slow the spread of COVID-19 has caused some chaos in Colorado's courts. In mid-March, Chief Justice Nathan Coates ordered the suspension of most matters except emergency proceedings, like criminal trials coming up on constitutional deadlines. Just a few days later, he extended the stay on jury trials through May 15th. Some judicial districts have issued even more restrictive orders, such as closing courts to the public for a few days and postponing all trials. Courts have had to scramble to find a balance between needing to restrict their operations with rights related to speedy trials and public access to proceedings. I talked all of this over with Chris Jackson, a partner at Holland & Hart. I'll note that because of recent social distancing requirements, we recorded this interview over Zoom, so please excuse any hiccups in the audio. Welcome back to Hearsay from Law Week, Colorado. I'm Julia Cardi. To start off broadly, there doesn't seem to be a statute or case law that gives specific guidance with how courts should balance public health with public access and constitutional rights during a crisis, like this public health emergency. I did see in the state constitution, um, there's a section that gives the Supreme Court It says a general superintending control over all inferior courts under such regulations and limitations as may be prescribed by law. And that, at least on at first blush, seems like a pretty broad granting of authority to the Supreme Court to issue orders like this. And so I think what you're seeing is Chief Justice Coates is trying to weigh preserving public safety, making sure that the courts are relatively uniform in the way that they're working, but then on the other hand, also giving the district courts the discretion they need to make sure that the cases that they individually are responsible for are are sort of moving forward in the way that they need to be. So from kind of a broad perspective, when when you see the Chief Justice's order, is there any part of it that you see as ambiguous, either that there seems to be room for interpretation in either by like members of the public or even specific judicial districts if chief judges are looking at issuing their own orders specific to their districts? So one is that the chief justice directed that the courts and that the chief judge of each district minimize or eliminate in-person proceedings and contact. And of course, minimizing those in-person proceedings depends a lot on what you as the individual district judge think is important. And so there's a lot of leeway there for district court judges to figure out what works best for them. The other thing, too, is that the chief justice said criminal matters are generally stopped at this point, but that he would allow the individual districts to move forward if there is an imminent speedy trial deadline. And of course, what counts as an imminent deadline and what can reasonably be accomplished within a particular deadline is something that individual judges are going to have to weigh again. Colorado gives defendants the right to go to trial within 180 days of pleading not guilty. There are exceptions for situations like evaluations for mental health or competency. But what Colorado doesn't have is a law specific to trials that gives judges broad discretion to delay them, quote, in the interest of justice. Those are just built into a standard case. So there are certain motions if the defendant files that the time for the court to consider and rule on those motions doesn't count. There are other ways to sort of pause the clock, but they're all laid out pretty clearly and pretty specifically in a state statute. You get particular numbers, particular conditions. It's not kind of a freestanding, free-floating right that courts are left to interpret. It's a pretty specific statutory scheme. Last week, I talked to some prosecutors about how they might manage inevitable case backlogs caused by court shutdowns. 
I'm not including the audio from the interviews here because I didn't record them with the intention of using them for this podcast, so the audio quality isn't great. I spoke with DAs in the 6th, 7th, and 16th judicial districts, which are mostly rural. I also talked to George Brockler, the 18th district's DA. They said their chief judges haven't given guidance on how to interpret what an imminent trial deadline means. Instead, they've been negotiating with defendants and defense lawyers in individual cases to postpone their trials. But they know it's not reasonable to just wait until courts return to normal, probably close to summer, to start figuring out what to do with the backloaded trial requirements. Dan Hotzenpiller, the 7th District's prosecutor, told me mitigating the caseloads could mean taking approaches like more negotiating for plea agreements. He acknowledged that can be a tough situation for prosecutors. Defendants have the right to reject plea offers, and also prosecutors may feel strongly about the public interest of taking certain cases to trial. So this public health crisis may mean compromising on cases that otherwise have been slated to go to trial for a reason. Besides constitutional speedy trial rights, there are also rights about public access to court proceedings. So as you pointed out on the criminal side, there are there are both federal and state protections, like the Sixth Amendment to the federal constitution says that the accused gets the right to a speedy and a public trial. Um, and then the, the U.S. Supreme Court has also ruled that the First Amendment offers protections too, that the rights to freedom of press and petitioning the government give the public, and in particular the media, the right to attend, again, mostly a criminal trial. But there are civil protections as well. The Colorado Supreme Court, for example, has held that courts can impose some reasonable limitations on access to public trials, even in the civil context, but that certainly isn't absolute, and they have to weigh the public's right to know what the courts are doing. So there is a constitutional right. And then, of course, I guess even more broadly than that, There is, I think, a general understanding in the Western world and in constitutional democracies that courts have to be open to the public, that the kinds of activities that they do, the kinds of decisions they make are things that affect the public, that the public supports both through tax dollars and through legitimacy by by believing that the judicial system actually works appropriately, that the judicial system needs to be public, the, the public needs to have access and to understand what they're doing for them to function the way that they're supposed to function. Because of the speedy trial rights for criminal cases, it's imaginable that they will have to take priority over some civil matters once courts return to normal. That means parties are left waiting for their day in court, and companies are spending time and money on litigation that takes away from focus on their business. Things that are important for our our society and our economy to function is that courts are involved in the resolving of day-to-day disputes between private parties. And that that's obviously important because everybody's just kind of put on hold, and it means individuals and businesses can't really plan for the future if they have these disputes that courts are supposed to resolve, but they haven't been able to resolve yet. And then even kind of beyond that, there are things that courts do that are important Um, that aren't even about resolving disputes. And so I'm thinking, for example, of recording deeds and liens and those sorts of things that, again, for business and individuals to function in their daily lives, there needs to be the kind of record-keeping function of the courts needs to continue. And so all of those things, if they're put on hold, they cause real significant and immediate consequences. Now, of course, the Chief Justice's order and a lot of, I think, all of the district courts are preserving those functions, that they're making sure they can still issue temporary protection orders, they can still handle dependency and neglect hearings. But it's really important to realize 
or to emphasize that this doesn't just affect the criminal side of things. There are a lot of civil actions that the courts deal with on a daily basis, and they're they're just as important. They're just as emergent, and they're they need to continue even while we're dealing with this this quarantine, this lockdown of the courts. I could see this very theoretical question that may turn into a practical one to answer of, well, first of all, what happens to statutes of limitation for filing new cases if any courts decide to limit that for right now? And then also what happens to filing deadlines just in cases on a more you know case-by-case basis if there are certain filings that either can't be made in person or if courts are just deciding to try and limit filings in even existing cases for right now while things are really limited. You know, I, I think that's more of a theoretical question for right now, but it'll be interesting to see if those turn into practical questions that we have to figure out. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And so one of the points that you mentioned uh, is statutes of limitations. That there just is a set amount of time that, um, in particular, civil claims can be brought. I think that for the most part, Colorado's districts, um, I don't know this for sure, but I think most of the districts at least have electronic filing. And so it should be you know, relatively easy for individuals or lawyers to file complaints without having to run up against those deadlines. But that is one example of something that everybody's going to have to look out for, that when you shut down the courts, at least for everything except essential functions, there are a lot of deadlines and a lot of things that need to be accomplished that are getting pushed back. Federal courts are adapting their filing policies in light of their limited operations. On March 19th, SCOTUS blog reported the Supreme Court extended deadlines for filing cert petitions. Parties have 150 days from the lower court ruling instead of 90 days. And that change will stay in effect indefinitely. Locally, the Tenth Circuit hasn't changed deadlines per se, but has paused paper copy requirements for all its filings. And that probably is, I would say, the best thing to do at this point, because you want to make sure that everybody's rights are protected while the courts are are running on minimal operations. But, you know, there's just a lot of, of scrambling here as everybody tries to figure out hour by hour what's going on, what's changing, what do we need to make sure gets taken care of at this particular moment. You know, you're probably going to see a lot of those situations now. I think once the emergency is over, you'll probably also see some finagling with the courts and lawyers too about how to address particular cases where there might have been an issue that came up that no one was able to address at the time. And and my guess is that courts and litigants are going to be a little more forgiving about these kinds of rules and making sure that everybody gets their day in court and that this emergency doesn't prevent them from that. That wraps up this episode of Hearsay from Law Week Colorado. Thanks for listening. Law Week will continue to cover what efforts to contain COVID-19 mean for Colorado's court system and legal profession as the news changes every day. I'm Julia Carty, and I'll see you next time.